welcome to Seagull's weekly podcast. Um, I'm joined once again by Scott McCarthy from wearebryson.com. Um, there's a lot to talk about this week. Obviously, we've got the Chelsea game tonight. We've got Man City in the FA Cup semi-final on Saturday. But first, I think we need to talk about the weekend that's just gone, which was obviously the Southampton game. Um, now Scott, as part of We Are Brighton, you used to run a show you called The Albion Moaning, where when things are going badly, people get in touch and rant and rave about how bad it was for Brighton. Did you get flashbacks to that on, on the weekend? Yeah, from a sort of status point of view, it was quite good, wasn't it? Um, we had talked about reviving the show recently. <laughs> the way things are going, I think there's definitely a market for it, if I wasn't worried about the hefty legal bills which would follow. But yeah, it was, it was terrible, wasn't it? Um, like, yeah, what, why was it so bad? Because I'll be honest, I've, until this weekend, I've never chosen to leave a game before the end. And I was so confident that we had no hope of getting in, I just left it on 90 minutes. Yeah. Didn't even bother waiting for a stoppage it's time. Just, <laughs> it's just been rubbish for months now, hasn't it, if we're being honest? <laughs> I mean... So do you think results like the Palace one have papered over? Yeah, it's a huge paper and over, isn't it? You look at sort of, what have, since the turn of the year, what games have we actually won? We've been in Huddersfield, scraped to win against Huddersfield, a team who were relegated with six weeks of the season to go. We've then gone to Palace, which I think you can discount because your form, league tables, all that stuff goes out the window for Derby. We've then gone to Millwall, and it's only an absolutely catastrophic error, like the worst goalkeeping error you'll ever see from a professional, <laughs> that has salvaged us a draw against a team that are in the bottom four of the Championship. If you take those results out, is it tactics? Because obviously, at the start, at the turn of the year, we switched to. Like, Murray looks so isolated. Do you think that's why we've not really looked particularly great? Yeah, the tactics don't help, do they? 4 3 3 is just, I think quite a lot of us picked up on it very early on. It's a bit of a, a shambles when you're trying to play that way and your strikers, a bloke who fries on crosses into the box. I mean, you saw on Saturday, every time the ball came forward in the air, Murray's winning the flick on. There's no one there to get it. If he's got the beating of two centre backs in the air, why on earth aren't we, you know, getting the ball wide to normal wings, traditional wings, and yeah. moving crosses in? It just doesn't work. Um, Ian's did, joined us, by the oh, way. Yes, so he has. Good, good afternoon, Ian. Greetings, gentlemen. Um, you were at the game for us on the weekend. How bad was it from your point of view? Um, well, I've written down awful here on my notes for... Very polite of you today but yeah I I mean it doesn't really even begin to cover it does it I mean from a personal perspective for us to deliver a performance like that when we're playing the team from the city where I live um, is horrendous and the text messages started coming in at about two minutes after the final whistle um, with all kinds of messages on that I, it, it was just awful to see that lack of desire in a game that is so important, I mean, forget about my feelings about the game, but a game that is so important to both clubs, for the team at home, in front of 30-odd thousand people, to come out with that lack of, or that perceived lack of desire is unbelievable, really. Yeah, you say no desire, there was no real movement, no tempo, um, how do you think the midfield did? Because it felt like every time 
David Proper or Dale Stevens getting on the ball, but basically at left back. The midfield were terrible, weren't they? And I think you can tell when it's going to be a bad day for Brighton when I mean, David Proper's one of the best midfielders I've ever seen play for us. And he looked like an absolute cart horse. <laughs> the ball's flying out of play. He couldn't find a blue and white shirt. If the performance levels are affecting a player that good, you know you've got trouble. Uh, Stevens was just, I don't know what was going on there. And the Sumer had a good first half, but then. Everyone's saying, oh, he should be starting, he should be starting, our best player. But the reason Hutton doesn't start him is because he's so raw, he's got so much learning to do. And you saw that with the way he just gave away the ball for the, what ultimately led to the goal. I mean, if, if that's Pascal Gross playing there or even Kyle, that ball's not given away and we're not losing the game on them. Yeah. Ian, did anyone play well for you? Um, well, I, I think. I think Bissouma had a, a couple of good moments earlier on, early in the game. Um, I think Johanna Batch had a couple of good moments early in the game, but a, apart from that, not really. I mean, obviously you could point to maybe Montoya's shot that smashed against the bar, but we we seemed to me that, I mean, presumably when Chris Hutton's sorting out all these tactical decisions for the game, he gets the players to walk through the moves in training. The trouble is we were walking through those moves in a match situation. And we've seen it so many times this season. We get completely torn apart by teams that they don't even necessarily have to play all that well. They just need to play with a bit of pace and a bit of purpose and they arrive at the edge of our uh, penalty area with three or four players over. So, I, I mean, I think you could point to a couple of moments for a couple of players, but apart from that, no, hopeless. Fair enough. That's very succinct at the end. Um, <laughs> do you think there's any merit in suggestions from a couple of players that maybe a draw would have been deserved? Because it didn't look like they were ever going to get past Southampton. It was so easy for them. No, I don't think you deserve what's deserved. If I was a, if the boot was on the other foot and I was a Southampton fan, and then that was a draw, I'd be thinking, do you know what? That was a real opportunity for us to get three points that we've blown here because they were the better side. Redmond was the best player on the pitch, and I know we just Ian just talked about the players who stood out, but for me, the two best Brighton players were Bernardo and Montoya. Yeah. So. When you're playing a side that's below you in the table and your two best players are your fullbacks, then no, you don't deserve anything from the game. Yeah, if you're watching, welcome, get involved. Let us know what you thought of the game. I'm going to guess it wasn't particularly positive. Um, after the game and after recent performances, whenever we've not got a result lately, it feels like there's a, a, a small but vocal minority that's steadily starting to grow slightly of fans that are of the Hutton out mindset because they just don't see any real improvement or don't see that he will take us on to the next step at all. Do you think that they are justified at all? Do you agree? I think they're justified, yeah. Um, do I agree? Probably not because the issue we've got is that it seems to a lot of people it's very black and white. You know, People say, oh, Hutton's not doing this and they'll turn around to you and go, well, why do you want him sacked? But you can, like, I'm considering and say the last three months have been very, very poor. It's not been good enough to watch. And, you know, if he didn't have so much credit in the bank, he'd be in a world of trouble because you can't have, what is it, two league wins in three months and we've dropped points. You know, we've 
We dropped points at home against Southampton. We've gone to Fulham, blown a 2 0 lead. We've lost at home to Burnley. That's just not good enough. But because of what Hume's done in the past, he's got enough credit in the bank and he deserves that. What he's got to do is get us out of the rut. Yeah. Ian, do you think there's any case for the uh, prosecution when it comes to the Hewton out comments? Um, just talking about fans being vocal after the game. Um, congratulations, Scott, on getting through to the shortlist for the finals of the Football Blogging Awards, mate. Well deserved. Thank you, Ian. Um, nice plug there. No worries. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, I think... I can fully understand the aftermatch hysteria. I mean, we obviously live in an age when it's very easy to vent immediately after the final whistle, and it's very easy to get that out in, in the public domain. And I think there will always be people who will turn around and say, well, the obvious solution is to sack the manager. Um, as Scott said, I think hewton has got more than enough credit in the bank to be not immune from those kind of comments, but to certainly be able to resist them. But I think we have got to take a long, hard look at the way we play, the way we set up um, our general tactical setup in time for next season. Um, I still firmly believe that the games we've got left will, will deliver us enough to stay up combined with um, Cardiff, probably not delivering enough for them to stay up. So, the time for those kind of debates, certainly on Hewton's future, are after the final whistle against Man City at the end. Well, hopefully after the final whistle of the FA Cup final. But um, <laughs> that's my optimism hat on again. But yeah, I, I, I totally get the comments, um, but it's the wrong time to be talking about sacking the manager, that's for sure. Yeah, well, Brighton currently sit 15th in the division with Southampton, obviously, who beat Brighton <coughs> points, but behind on goal difference. Also level on points of Burnley, who, who beat Wolves 2-0. Um, and all three teams are five points clear of Cardiff, who, by the skin of their teeth, managed to lose against Chelsea, which brings us neatly onto tonight's game. Um, we are going to Chelsea tonight. Would you make changes to a team? And Dona is available, apparently. Would you change the formation or the lineup? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because if it was a home game against a side we should be beating, you'd be saying, right, he's got to change it. You, know, you can't not change what happened on on a Saturday. But ironically, the sort of performance we gave on Saturday is exactly the sort of performance we need to give tonight. <laughs> we, know, we need to be tight. We don't want to show too much ambition yeah. because they'll turn you over otherwise. So maybe stick with the same lineup, give them another chance. Not sure, really. But then you also got to think about what you do on Saturday, and I'm sure we'll come on to that, because yeah. playing, for me, playing Glenn Murray up front against Manchester City, no matter which way you play, isn't going to work, because you've got to sort of look to hit him on the counter. You need pace up there, and he just doesn't deliver that, unfortunately, even if he is, for me, our best striker. Yeah. Ian, if Andoni's available, would you throw him straight back in or not? I'm not sure I'd throw him straight back in. I mean, obviously... Only the the coaching staff will know how close he is to fitness. I mean, I, I think, as Scott said, the only way we're going to stand any chance of unlocking Man City on Saturday is to inject a bit of pace into the situation. So you would you would think that maybe Andoni was um, in line for something on Saturday, which therefore means that he would play some part tonight. I mean, you could make a case for. Lucardia coming in tonight, maybe just to sort of give him a chance to get a bit of game time. 
Um, is Kier, though, for Johanna Batch, maybe, again, Johanna Batch, yet another lacklustre performance from him. At least his Kier, though, has got a bit of pace to him. Um, and then possibly Kyle in for, I don't know, well, who? Bissouma, maybe. I mean, because certainly one thing you don't want to do is be giving the ball away to Chelsea's midfielders. So um, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. I mean, having said all that, if we're looking forward to Saturday very quickly, I don't really understand. I, oh, well, I can't believe Hewton won't start with Murray up front, despite what we might say about pace or otherwise, because that's what he does. So it's, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the team is tonight. Yeah, well, Rick Gonzalez is watching us once again. Hello again, Rick. Uh, he says, I don't need to get 20 minutes tonight and start on Saturday, which I think is probably what will happen. Um, see, Brighton's only victory against Chelsea came at home in the third round of the FA Cup in 1933. So it's been a long time since we've beaten them. But this Chelsea team does look like it's got a few weaknesses. They obviously just got past Cardiff. They are bringing Hazard and Kante back in the side. But Callum Hudson-Odoi will also, if rumours are to be believed, be making his Premier League debut as a starter. Is there... A weakness there with him defensively. You see, we saw him for England being berated a little bit by his right back for not tracking the runner. Yeah, I, I guess there is a weakness, but then you've got to ask yourself if you're going to play a player who can't defend, this is the game to do it because we're not going to attack. It's perfect for him. But if this was sort of, you know, the start of season, October, November time, I'd think, no, we've actually got a chance here. We're going to Stamford Bridge against a side who openly hate their own manager. <laughs> who are in absolutely atrocious form and struggling to hang on to you know, a Champions League place. This is a chance to pick up points, but the way we're playing at the minute, you just think, oh God, I hope it's not sort of 4 or 5 nil, don't you? Yeah. Ian, do you, do you see a way we can beat Chelsea tonight? And there's certainly a way we can beat Chelsea. Whether or not we're capable of actually delivering that is, is another matter. I mean, we, we talk we've talked pretty much on every single one of these podcasts throughout the season about the need for more pace. And it's all very well having um, Lucardio or Andoni buzzing away up front. But if we haven't got the pace to support them, then what's the point? I mean, we, we, we spent so much time on Saturday kind of ambling our way out of defence and it's, it's not good enough. So... Yeah, they're beatable, but by the same token, they're just as likely to turn in a performance and, and beat us 5-0. That's the, that's the kind of weirdness around Chelsea at the moment. On paper, they should be challenging right at the top of the Premier League. They're not, but that's because for some reason, they well, probably down to Sari, they're, they're not able to deliver that consistency. But you would expect that if Hudson-Odoi is in the starting lineup, that will lift the crowd because they obviously love him and hate the manager and will feel that they've got one over on the manager by almost forcing him to pick him. So, I, I don't know, who knows? I mean, I've sort of waffled on a little bit and ended up sitting on the fence as usual, but it, who knows? You just don't know what Chelsea's going to turn up, do you? Well, quite. Um, it will be interesting to see who plays tonight with one eye on the game coming up on the weekend. Obviously, Brighton in the FA Cup semi-final for the first time since '83. Man City overwhelming favourites with bookmakers, obviously. 
is it is it essentially like, as yeah. long as we don't get humiliated does it really matter no because I can sort of, people always say, oh, you know, if you go away and leave, you should attack these things. But I can sort of see the reason not to do it because imagine if you went away and lost, say we went to City and went all out attack at the Etihad and they beat us 10 nil or something, then that, not only does it completely mess up your goal difference, but that, that is just demoralising. Yeah. I mean, me and you, Sam, we've played for teams that have lost by heavier scorelines and that, and it's, it's not great. So I can see why you wouldn't do it in a league game. But a cup game, yeah, why not? I mean, obviously, you don't want to be going with five attackers or something stupid. Yeah. You've got to be sensible. But you also, you can't win the game if you're just determined not to concede. You've got to look to take your chances, hit them on the break, and at least be a little bit proactive. What Hewton does to, to make that happen, I don't know. But as we've all, all said, you just need a bit of pace. So, and don't know, maybe. And going back to tonight, I'm going to surprise people here by saying I'd actually start the card here tonight. You would start the card. Yeah. Which You're is not the biggest fan. I know, it's like me coming out and saying something like, Oh, I'm gonna become a vegan or something, it's completely out of character. But he he looked good when he came on the Saturday. He was impressive at Millwall. And if I don't fit when he plays, why not give him a go? And people are saying, you know, playing through the middle rather than out wide when he's playing, well now's his chance to sink or swim. If he goes through the middle and doesn't do anything, then we know he spent fourteen million on a complete waste of space. If he goes and does something, then you think, actually, we might have a player here. Yeah. Uh, Ian, do you think the occasion is more important than the result on Sunday or on Saturday? Um, just, just before that, I'm going straight to the T-shirt manufacturers now to get a T-shirt that says, I was there when Scott McCarthy said that Lacardia should start a game. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think it's true up to a point. I mean, I think, yes, no one... No one least of all our own fans gives us any chance on Saturday but we we don't want to go too far down the route of foam hands and jester hats and blue and white wigs and what have you because over 120 minutes we we actually have got a chance and all right it might be a minuscule chance but we have got a chance our defensive unit which is the one part of the team that needs to be absolutely on our game right throughout that game are actually reasonably solid. We've, we've got two central defenders who we trust massively to repel pretty much most strike forces. So, you know, we, we have got a chance, but as, as Scott said, you've only, you're only able to convert that chance into an actual victory if you're prepared to take a little bit of a chance at the other end, other end of the field as well. So I think, yeah, the input, the, the occasion is, incredible. Um, I mean, I was working away when we got to the semi-final in 1983, so didn't experience that. And I, I literally can't wait on Saturday, as long as I can stay sober enough to remember it. But um, <laughs> and that's a toughie. So uh, we, we've, got to balance, we've got to balance the two things out, really. Um, should we say about how it's a cup game the goal difference of the match and we can attack. But obviously it goes to extra time and penalties. So could you also make the argument that try and ban patches whether the storm for 120 minutes and try and take it to penalties? Do you think there's any like is that ever might be viable strategy? I don't side? I don't think that we could take that game to penalties. Yeah. Because 
the whole like one of the big matches about Pep Guardiola is that his size are super fit, aren't they? Mm. Like City are probably that's why they press so much one of the fittest teams on the and say it's not working for them. You know, we all our eleven players are dead on their feet after ninety minutes, and that's what it will take to repel them. And then you look at our bench and you think, well, what are we going to do here? Oh, right, we've got Kyle here. We've got, you know, players who are lower Premier League players. You look at the City bench and you think, oh, look, there's De Bruyne, there's Mahrez. So they'll be able to turn the game of quality and, you know, it'll just be unrelentless. And there's absolutely no way we'll last two hours defending. We've got to get it done in 90 minutes if we're going to do it. Yeah. Ian, do you think uh, Man City would be able to hang on to the penalties if Brighton defended? Um, not a chance. As, as as Scott said, I think if we were playing most other teams in the in the Premier League, then perhaps you could make a case for that. But uh, as Scott said, the way Guardiola sets his teams up, I mean they will they will absolutely run us into the ground over ninety minutes, and the thought of another thirty minutes where they'll be still bouncing around and charging all over the pitch. Not a hope. Not a hope. So, yeah, I, I agree. We, if we're going to do it, we've got to get it done in 90. I think you can sort of compare it to our game at Millwall, where we, being a Premier League team, would be a lot fitter than Millwall were. And yeah. once we got, once the 90 minutes was up, there's only one team that would have won that in normal time if we could take our chances. And, you know, the offside, Millwall were dead on their feet and they were hanging on. That that would be us. We'll be Millwall and and City will be what we were that day. So you're saying City will rely on a Matt Ryan how long? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be typical Brian wouldn't it? Um, we will be doing our predictions in a minute. Just want to quick detour up the division in the Premier League. Um, after it was it suddenly kicked into life and were favourites for the top four. Arsenal, Tottenham, United and Chelsea are now separated by three points in the league. Which of those which like out of those four, which two will get the third and fourth spots? I don't really, that's a tough one because I think if United it's going to sound a bit weird, if United hadn't have appointed Solskjaer directly then because they've still got something to prove, haven't they? You know, the manager's not in place, but they've lost the sort of the new manager bounce now, yeah. which might explain, you know, their form. Obviously, it wasn't great last night, was it losing to Wolves? So they could yet fall away. I think Arsenal could do it, and Spurs should have enough quality, and, you know, with the boost of playing in that new stadium, that should get them over the line. Ian, do you think Spurs' new stadium will help them get top four, or will it be a hindrance? Um, no, I again agree with Scott that um, the the boost from the new stadium. I mean, listening to I mean, Sky Sports this morning did a specific feature on the escalators at the new stadium. So that's the extent to which Sky Sports are, are hyping the whole thing up, um, and I think it's been so long coming. It, I, I can see Tottenham winning all of their remaining home games. So I think Tottenham will end up in the top four. As to the, the final position, I don't know. Arsenal seem to be building a bit of momentum. So maybe Tottenham and Arsenal, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. And if you know if you follow that end of the table, then it's, um, it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. I think that Sky Sports feature shows that uh, Tottenham are moving up in the world. Um, I'm not sorry. Um, hey. Before we get to the Mark Dunford is watching. Uh, he wants to say, do you think Albion and Man City fans can match the atmosphere of Portsmouth v Sunderland on Sunday as it sounded incredible on the telly? No, absolutely <laughs> no chance. Is that because of both sets of fans or because 
Man City fans. I think both sets of fans. I mean, I know we all like to think we've got an amazing atmosphere and stuff, but really, Brighton fans aren't that good at creating an atmosphere. <laughs> Let alone if you think that there's going to be, what, say, sort of six, seven thousand people in there who don't regularly go. Yeah. The City element, obviously, they're quite quiet as it is. They're, they've not sold out, and, you know, who can blame them? Because, what is it, something like their 15th trip to Wembley in five years. You can't get back to Manchester after because of the stupid kick-off time. So it's almost going to be a sort of a day trip as actress for them. With Sunderland and Portsmouth, that was completely different, wasn't it? Because for them, it's sort of, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Ian, do you agree with Scott's criticism of the Brighton fans? Or or do you think that... Do you think they're... Yeah, you can probably count on the fingers of one hand the electric atmospheres they've been at the Amex since it opened. Um, and much as I'm not a huge fan of Portsmouth Football Club, you've got to take your hat off to the noise that their fans make, even though there's you know less than 20,000 of them in there every week. So I think we'll be, we'll be hard-pressed to create this kind of seething cauldron of noise that that we would all love to see. I mean, if it does happen like that, then fantastic. But I'm kind of not holding my breath. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the the occasion was was completely different on Sunday with two um, fallen giants, if you like, of of the game, looking to sort of show that they're still sort of chirping away in the background. But, um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, we'll all have a good day, won't we, And, uh, and see what happens. The other thing about the atmosphere at Wembley is obviously I go quite regularly and it's just a terrible ground to try and create an atmosphere. The acoustics are great. No, it's just awful. I, I can count on two hands the, the times it's been good for an England game. One is when Scotland are in town, which is understandable because you've got like 8,000 of them and they're yeah. all completely insane. <laughs> the other was when Poland played against England and that's purely because there must have been about 40,000 poles in there that day as well. So I, I don't hold out much hope, but... You know, who cares about the atmosphere? It's going to be a good day. When it's going to be blue and white, that's the main thing, isn't yeah. it? I wonder if the, the Portsmouth game will end up on the Netflix documentary about Sunderland. Another low point for them. Um, yeah, we're going to do our predictions now. Obviously, we're going to start with the FA Cup fixtures, the first of which is obviously Saturday evening. Man City v Brighton. What do you reckon? Well, I'm extremely confident that City are going to win this 2 <laughs> And that's because 2 0 just seems to. We always lose by two guys when we, when we play against them. It's a sort of score where we're not going to score and they, they can easily get to and then just, you know, they put off the gas and look forward to Champions League. Yeah, for that exact reason, that it's a respectable defeat. I'm also thinking 2 0. Ian, what do you think? Well, I was going to put on my jester hat for this particular bit of the prediction. Because um, I'm going one nil Albion and Donny. Blimey! <laughs> that, if, if that's what you think, I would put a pound on. that and you pay off a mortgage. The other game. On the yeah. Game, Watford v Wolves. That's a slightly trickier one to call. Scott. Um, yeah, I, I think Wolves. Be a good season for them, and they've comfortably stayed up, get a trophy, or be in a final to play for a trophy and lose to Man City. I suppose it will be. So, 2-1 uh, Wolves. 2-1. Ian? Yeah, I'm going the same. 2-1 Wolves. I think that they've 
they seem to, I mean, Watford have got momentum as well as Wolves, obviously, but I think Wolves have just got that little, that little edge. So, yeah, 2-1 Wolves. 2-1 Wolves. Uh, I'm also going 2-1 Wolves. I think Wolves beat Man City would be quite an, a good cup final. Uh, Rick Gonzalez says 3-1 to Man City, whereas John Caitlin says 2-1 to Brighton. So he's feeling pretty optimistic. Uh, with the Watford game, Rick says 3-2 to Wolves, so he thinks that's going to be a high scorer. Um, away from the FA Cup, mainly because there are only two games in the FA Cup. Um, and looking back at the Premier League, Ian, Bournemouth v Burnley, where do you see that going? I will be amazed if this game doesn't end up being last on Match of the Day Saturday night. Nil-nil. Nil-nil. Do you think it will be that bad? I think it will be pretty bad, but if there's one man who just always screws Brighton over, it's Eddie Howe, isn't it? Whether that's you know not giving up when we first asked for him or the whole nightmare of the Lewis Graven situation we were trying to sign in. For some reason, he just has it in for us. So that's exactly the sort of game... Plucky little board will go and lose. So 1-0 to Burnley. One to put us right in the trouble. 1-0 <laughs> to Burnley. I'm going to say Bournemouth home win, 2-0. I think uh, I think it'll be a terrible game, but I think two goals will be enough. Uh, Rick says 2-0 to Bournemouth as well. Um, also in the Premier League, the newly relegated Huddersfield are at home to Leicester. Do you think now the shackles are off, they'll start to play, or do you think they're just going to get turned over by everyone? I think they've absolutely had it. They're shocking, aren't they? It says a lot about us that we only managed to beat them 1 0 with a pretty scrappy goal. So I'm going to go 3 1 Leicester. And I'll be very surprised if the Huddersfield managed to see that this evening, actually. Um, I'm also saying 3 1. Are you just reading the scores? <laughs> I can't read that, I've got my glasses. <laughs> um, Ian, are you going to make it a clean sweep? <laughs> Uh, I am slightly different scoreline. I'm going two nil Leicester. Um, am I am I right in saying that since he made that U-turn on the M25, Pr- Alex Pritchard's been relegated two seasons in succession from the Premier League? No, just Norwich were in the championship when he came when he went there. All right. Well, it's still funny, um, but yeah, two two nil Leicester. I can't see Huddersfield getting anything out of that. Um, for the sake of the fans, it would be nice if they got something to, to celebrate this season. Well, I see, um, they've sold sort of 18,000 season tickets next season already, haven't they? Mm. But I guess if you live in Huddersfield, there's nothing else to do rather than <laughs> watch football. <laughs> so that's probably why. Yeah, could be a tough season for them next year. Uh, finally, Newcastle v Palace, everyone's old favourites. Do you think Benitez will get something right? Yeah, 2 0 to Newcastle. Palace aren't great away from home, are they? Ian? Um, also a Newcastle win I think Palace will score though I've gone 2-1 Newcastle obviously I am saying that Palace will get something I think it will be uh, I don't think it's going to be particularly great round of fixtures this week I'm going to say a boring model um, so yeah that pretty much brings a close to this week's Seagulls Weekly um, obviously we've got a game tonight which Steve Bailey will be at so you can follow all the news and updates on brightonhobeindependent.co.uk and on Twitter at Brighton Indy. Um, and also all the build-up in the day and before the games on Saturday and all the fallout from Brighton's dramatic late win against Man City. Uh, before we leave, Rick Gonzalez says 3-0 to Newcastle. <laughs> so uh, don't have much hope for panic. Um, this is Scott from wearebrighton.com. Thank you very much for Thank coming you. in. Uh, 
Ian from seagullsprograms.co.uk. Thank you very much for dialing in. Um, Pleasure. Rob Lloyd says Newcastle nil, Palace one, and in brackets, Spironi. <laughs> Spironi scores, you definitely want to put a pound on yeah. that. Um, but until next week, thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.